I think the biggest bonus from an inclusion front is for people who may be in any way suffer a disability or a hidden disability, which means that they find it more of a struggle to go into the office because we've shown that things can be worked remotely and we can adjust for those. But in terms of things like creativity and brainstorming, one of the problems when you're on Zoom, I mean, I don't know about other people's Zoom screens, but mine tends to limit how many people I can even see. And trying to monitor all of those, who's contributing, who's not, and why are they not, is very difficult. So I think you do lose contribution when you're on Zoom. Zoom works quite well for straightforward transactional stuff, but doesn't really work so well for, you know, the broader creative stuff or for getting people's contribution. So I think there is an issue there in terms of inclusivity, but I think there are also bigger issues around inclusivity, again, where the predictions at the moment are that men are going to say, well, you know, that was fine. I managed to do that. And yeah, I can work from home and I'll ask for it one or two days so that I can see my kids. But it's the women who will suffer because the women are saying, well, you know, this actually currently suited my lifestyle and my caring responsibilities. So I'm going to want to stay in this sort of situation. And we could actually find there's an even bigger divide between the way men are treated at work and the way that women are treated. You could walk into an office hypothetically and find that we're back in the 1950s where it's mostly men actually sitting there because all the women are working remotely. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Michelle King, joined by Kelly Thompson, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. As countries begin to ease lockdown restrictions, a lot of employees want to know what will the post-pandemic workplace look like? For many office workers, remote work is here to stay, whether they like it or not. Companies like Twitter and Dropbox have moved to almost complete remote working with no signs that this will change. According to LinkedIn's Workforce Confidence Index, roughly half of professionals in the United States believe their companies will allow them to telecommute at least part of the time after the pandemic. That percentage is even higher in industries including tech at 73%, finance at 67%, and media at 59%. Flexible work is the future. And while the pandemic has shown us that flexible working is possible, surviving and thriving are not the same thing. While working from home can reduce company costs and increase employee productivity, it also has been shown to increase employee stress as boundaries become a difficult thing to manage and there's pressure to always be on. As we enter this new phase of working life, it's important to understand what the costs are, especially when it comes to inclusion and well-being. On this episode, we're joined by hybrid working expert Anna Miller, who will unpack what hybrid working is, what jobs can be done from home, how we can set boundaries with our workplaces, and what all of us can do to prepare for the post-pandemic workplace. While many employers are taking their first tentative steps towards defining and redesigning their workplaces of the future, others have already leapt in feet first, embracing the world of so-called hybrid working. According to a Forbes report, in October 2020, Dropbox announced its plan to be a virtual first company. 
Employees work mainly from home and for team building and collaboration, they can use new collaborative spaces called Dropbox Studios in place of their old offices. And it's not just the Dropbox physical workplace which has changed. Their employees have more control over their schedules, working to a so-called non-linear day. If research is correct, Dropbox and other early adopters are onto something. According to a 2021 research study by the consulting firm McKinsey, more than 20% of the workforce could work remotely three to five days a week as effectively as they could if working from an office. If remote working took hold at that level, as many as four times the number of employees would be working from home than before the pandemic. From a well-being and equality perspective, I think that true working agility has the potential to be a great leveller in terms of the balancing and rebalancing of home and work life and the ability for business to tap into talent cold spots and underrepresented groups. But there is a sharp double-edged sword here. If we get hybrid working wrong, it could exacerbate existing inequalities and foster in and out crowd dynamics within workforces. And the McKinsey report points out that more than half the workforce has little or no opportunity for remote work, including those whose jobs must be done on location. These jobs are often low wage and at greater risk of automation and digitisation. So remote work is accentuating inequalities at a social level. To fully appreciate the impact at both macro and micro level, we need to start with a common understanding and terminology. This begins with deciding what hybrid working really means and how it's different from flexible or agile working, both for businesses and for individual employees. In a sense, to me, it's a bit like the emperor's new clothes. I'm not entirely sure where the phrase originated from, but as far as I'm concerned, we used to have family-friendly working practices. Then we decided we had flexible working practices. Then we moved on to agile working practices. And now we've rebadged it as hybrid working. And I think without a clear definition, this is going to be the first place where employers fall down because many people have always been able to work at least part of their time in a remote location. So by saying, right, OK, we're going to offer people the opportunity to work not in the office and in the office, there's very little that's new in that. The only new thing might be if they have improved the technology that makes it a little bit easier. What sort of conversations are we going to have about which bits I do at work, which bits I don't do in the workplace, what goes on in terms of structuring my job? And that's putting quite a lot of onus on a manager to work it all out, particularly if they're managing a team and how that's going to look in a team. So I think some sort of rethinking of jobs and some sort of expert guidance from HR at the organisational level is going to be absolutely essential. If hybrid is going to be anything more than the old mishmash of flexible working, including working at home. And if we say that hybrid is really just the next upgrade, the key skill that comes out in virtually every bit of research is communication. And I think that basically for many of us, we're rubbish at that at the moment. Having to plan Zoom calls has improved people's thinking on communication. But basically, the assumption has been, well, I can see people or they know this, so we don't need to communicate. And the one skill that I think managers, staff, everybody is going to have to really upgrade is communication. How much communication does this need? When do I communicate? How do I communicate? What's going to be the formal side? What's going to be the informal side of that? So... You know, that just that one skill, if they upgrade that, then that will overcome a lot of the issues that they could face.
Inclusion doesn't just happen at work. It requires sustained effort. According to a survey by MarTech Group, which included 1,214 participants across different industries, working from home negatively impacts employees' mental health, job satisfaction, motivation, and company satisfaction. These findings are supported by a Harvard Business Review study surveying 1,153 employees, which found that 52% of participants who work from home feel their colleagues don't treat them equally. Remote employees are more likely to report feeling that their colleagues mistreat them and leave them out. They worry that their co-workers will say bad things behind their backs, make changes to projects without telling them in advance, lobby against them, and not fight for their priorities. When it comes to inclusion and hybrid working, Anna shares some of the risks that we're likely to face. I think the biggest bonus from an inclusion front is for people who may be in any way suffer a disability or a hidden disability, which means that they find it more of a struggle to go into the office because we've shown that things can be worked remotely and we can adjust for those. But in terms of things like creativity and brainstorming, one of the problems when you're on Zoom, I mean, I don't know about other people's Zoom screens, but mine tends to limit how many people I can even see. And trying to monitor all of those, who's contributing, who's not, and why are they not, is very difficult. So I think you do lose contribution when you're on Zoom. Zoom works quite well for straightforward transactional stuff, but doesn't really work so well for, you know, the broader creative stuff or for getting people's contribution. So I think there is an issue there in terms of inclusivity, but I think there are also bigger issues around inclusivity, again, where the predictions at the moment are that men are going to say, well, you know, that was fine. I managed to do that. And yeah, I can work from home and I'll ask for it one or two days so that I can see my kids. But it's the women who will suffer because the women are saying, well, you know, this actually currently suited my lifestyle and my caring responsibilities. So I'm going to want to stay in this sort of situation. And we could actually find there's an even bigger divide between the way men are treated at work and the way that women are treated. You could walk into an office hypothetically and find that we're back in the 1950s where it's mostly men actually sitting there because all the women are working remotely. Hybrid working is really an umbrella term for a work environment made up of a mix of people, some who are co-located together in the same place and others who are working remotely. Within that umbrella term, there are many different formulas. Some hybrid models will be made up of certain people who are always office-based and other people who work entirely remotely. In other environments, all employees will work a mix of remote and workplace-based hours and within each of these iterations is a multitude of layers. Teams who all work in the office on the same day once a week, Teams who rotate and are never necessarily all in the same physical space. Teams who coalesce in smaller local groups and so on. The hybrid model versions are as plentiful as are the sectors, businesses and leaders that design and implement them. And it's worth remembering that for many organisations, hybrid working is not an entirely new concept. There are lots of employers which have for years operated with teams split across locations and with individuals and groups working to a variety of remote and disparate arrangements. But for many, this is the first time that they've implemented a hybrid model at scale and for reasons other than in response to specific geographical necessities or individual employee requests. Although physical proximity isn't a proxy for effective collaboration, there's no doubt that hybrid working affects how employees interact with each other. One of the key challenges facing most businesses is how to ensure parity between workers, regardless of where or how they work. 
In many ways, this isn't a new challenge because in many a traditional office environment, there's already the challenge of ensuring that the high profile work is spread beyond the person who sits nearest to the boss and ensuring that the people on the 12th floor work effectively with their colleagues on the 10th. But the challenge is exacerbated where some of the workforce is entirely out of sight and out of physical reach. Still, the optimist in me believes that this should not be an insurmountable business challenge, provided it's carefully and deliberately factored in to the design and implementation of any new working model. Inclusivity should be one of the core guiding principles by which the effectiveness of any model is judged. Businesses that can do that successfully will be better able to unlock the benefits of hybrid working. Here, Anna shares why one of the most important things that companies can do to prepare for hybrid working is to review lessons learned from the pandemic. I think looking at human nature, the chances are that unless organisations really, really grasp this by the nettle now, it won't be that seismic shift. Because yes, people have said, I've shown I could work from home, but the problem is they could work from home surviving rather than thriving in a single job. Everybody had to cope. In order for it to progress, organisations need to build on that learning. They need to actually sit down now and say, right, okay, let's put together maybe even some sort of task force. Let's take people from various parts of the organisation. Let's pull them together and let's say, right, what did we learn? What worked really well? What can we build on? And how can we move this forward so we are actually supporting people to have that flexibility, but in a way that works for them and for the organisation? As I say, at the moment, there's so many working practices and cultural barriers that will get in the way of that unless it's done as a more than just, oh, yeah, OK, we'll have hybrid working. It really does need to be thought through. While working from home provides employees with greater freedom and opportunity to spend more time with family, it's not without its costs. In late 2020, a study by Oracle and Workplace Intelligence, which examined the impact of remote working on employee health and included a survey of 12,000 employees across 11 countries, found that 78% of the global workforce reported negative impacts to their mental health. 42% say their productivity plummeted. 41% say they are challenged because of the lack of boundaries between work life and home life. 38% are experiencing more stress and 25% report burnout and depression. Companies have to be aware of the costs of hybrid working and put solutions in place to manage these challenges. For 90% of organisations, they're not very mature on flexible working. You know, looking at the figures, the statistics, etc., even where they allow, quote, flexible working, it's not necessarily inclusive or supporting employee well-being. So if you're in one of those small number of organisations where flexible working wasn't an issue pre-pandemic, where people were doing it properly, where they were well supported, where managers understood it, where they could manage teams around it, where well-being was safeguarded, then go for the suck it and see anything goes policy. For the other 90%, I would say, particularly because you've got these line managers stuck in the middle going, well, what am I supposed to, you know, how's it supposed to, and the rest of the team and, and there and here and how we can manage the work. I think for the other 90%, I would recommend that you start with stronger guidelines. So you say, okay, at the moment, we're going to let you work one day a week, one day a month or whatever at home. 
whatever suits your organisation, and we will review it in six months' time. So I think the majority will need structure around it. Otherwise, it will become anarchic. People will be less productive, and you get that old chestnut of, well, we tried it here, it didn't work, so we're all going back to the office. Boundaries are the key to making hybrid working work for you. It's too easy to have back-to-back meetings on Zoom with no breaks and for office hours to simply disappear. Setting boundaries is an important step to ensuring we respect each other's time. This will look a little different for everyone. For example, in some teams, it might be having one day a week that's entirely Zoom-free. For others, it might be having an hour a day where everyone is offline. Here, Anna shares how each of us can establish boundaries at work. What people need to do is to take that responsibility for themselves and start by saying, right, what boundaries do I need to put in place? What do I need to work effectively, to safeguard my health, to find family time, to be productive at work? And once you have identified your own boundaries, negotiate but stick to boundaries. The work-life balance literature actually says that we need to have boundaries where we disengage from work because that disengagement, that time to recover, as the psychologists will call it, is essential for both our physical and our mental well-being. People are what would be called separators or integrators. Separators like to keep things separate, integrators like to integrate stuff. So integrators still need boundaries, but they might be smaller boundaries. The difficulty with the right to switch off is if an organisation then says, right, okay, no email access over the weekend. And if you're the sort of person who likes to say, do a little bit of work at the weekend, but you're keeping boundaries, then that's not going to suit you. It's about having a culture where it's okay for you to say, I have boundaries, particularly for women. They feel that they can't delineate those. They feel they have to accommodate whatever is required in the organisation. And I think if you've not set boundaries before, you start with a little micro boundary. So, for example, one of the ones she suggests, you switch your work phone off while you have dinner with your family. It takes an hour. So you just say to your colleagues, look, you know, this is important to me. For the next hour, I am not going to be available. If it is that urgent that it, you know, it can't wait an hour, why didn't we see it coming before? So, you know, it's about managing the people around you and starting with those micro boundaries. And then once you get some confidence in that, you can begin to think, well, are there places where I can set some bigger boundaries, which might be of benefit to me, but also to the people around me? The whole kind of flexible working work-life balance thing has been going on for a long time. And in the past, there were assessments. And one of the assessment questions was, is it okay, is it open in your organisation to raise issues around work-life balance in a non-threatening way? So to raise them in a way where we can solve that issue rather than say, oh, right, okay, you've got kids. That means you're not so interested in your work. And I think probably that would be the one fix for me would be if we had an open culture where people could discuss their out of work lives and say, how can I mesh these two? So I'm productive at work, but also I have this life outside and not feel that just by raising that somehow someone's gonna put a black mark against their name. No matter how or where you work, a key lesson we can all learn from the pandemic is the importance of setting appropriate boundaries at work. 
How you personally delineate work and non-work life will depend on your job, your home life, your circumstances and your preferences. But some of the boundaries all of us can consider making include these. One, establishing clear working hours and communicating them. Regardless of the hours you work, it's important to be intentional about when they are and to let people know. Having a shared team calendar or marking your working hours in your calendar is one way to be clear about when you will be available, which makes your colleagues' lives easier and reduces the pressure on you. Two, being clear about when you are off is just as important as letting people know when you're on. Taking holidays and setting time for daily lunch breaks and coffee breaks is really important for your own well-being. And frankly, it also makes business and risk management sense. If you're a leader, whether, when and how you take breaks sets the tone for the rest of your team. So it's important to be mindful about that responsibility. Three, while we're on the topic of boundaries, setting your own boundaries can be a really good reminder that other people have boundaries which deserve respect. That's not to say people can't ever be expected to work out of hours, but why and how that happens can always be done with understanding and acknowledgement of their boundaries. Four, take time to connect. In a remote or distributed workplace, it can be difficult to find time to chat with colleagues. Those organic water cooler, photocopier or cafe breaks may not happen by chance like they used to. So it's incumbent on all of us to make sure to schedule time to catch up with colleagues, whether a virtual team lunch or tea break, drop-in sessions or social activities. Those informal interactions are so important for the culture and cohesion of an organisation and we shouldn't see them as wasting time, quite the opposite. And remember that those informal water cooler moments may have been exclusionary to some people in the past and so this new, more deliberate way of approaching connection gives us an opportunity to proactively foster greater inclusivity. Finally, make like a toddler and practice saying no. Just because you can theoretically work any hours, that doesn't mean you should. Setting micro boundaries requires learning to say no when that's the right answer. Don't forget, no is a complete sentence. But if you can't bring yourself to stop at no, what about, no, I can't do that. No, I can't meet, I'm out of the virtual office. Or no, but what I can suggest is this. As the variety of working arrangements increases, the boundaries around work will continue to become less defined, less consistent and less visible. In turn, the onus on leaders to ensure arrangements work equitably for all their team members increases, as does the need for each of us to delineate our own lives effectively. Over time, small daily practices like the ones I just mentioned can add up to create the structure you need to thrive in a boundaryless working world. Thanks again for tuning in today. I really hope today's episode helps all of you to establish boundaries in this new world of work. Just a quick reminder before you go that if you'd like to be a guest on the show, then please reach out at thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to our monthly newsletter and contribute your stories there. If you want to support our work, then please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get yours. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.